Hey guys, welcome to the Bagging Boardcast, episode number 512. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being the Weekend Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list, the comic books that we are looking forward to coming out February 15th. 2023. Then we follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic. And this week we're continuing the Bagden Boardcast Month of Love, where each week we're going to be talking about the comic book creators that we love. We did cover artists last week. Today we're going to be talking about writers. Wait, so we're not going over Something's Killing the Children Volume 1? Not yet, but maybe. No. Not yet, but maybe someone will because they did read it and they like that writer. Stay tuned, everyone, for the main topic. Oh, hey. <clears throat> but uh, uh, start us off. It's gotta... John. John's the someone because I still haven't read it yet. And John was the one that was like, you, you guys read this yet? It's great. It's great. I love He's this. one of my boys. <laughs> All this talking will lead us to become a little thirsty in order to uh, get ahead of that. We just start drinking before the show. Uh, guys. I'm on call this week. I also gave blood like three hours ago. Um, so I'm drinking something low ABV. I shouldn't be drinking any alcohol. But you know what? What's life without a little uh, adventure? Hey, you am in a danger from, house over there. Danger. A danger tree house over here because I'm drinking from Treehouse uh, Brewery. Uh, they're January Julius, which is a 2.5% alcohol American Crusher Ale. Uh, served in a one-pint can. Uh, this is their take on a crushable, very crushable Julius. Um, first sip, I'm like, ooh, it's kind of like a powdery citrusy orange. Kind of like, not great. Very kind of artificial. But as like you get tang? into it, yeah, almost yeah, like a tang, a powdered tang. Perfect. Um But as you get used to it and start drinking it, it does become better. It's not... You know, not, not a huge flavor. It's not a f- big juice bomb uh, worth of flavor. It's there. It's it's the equivalent of drinking the seltzer w- seltzer water version of the Julius. I would say it's not um it's not bad. Like if you want to have a beer to feel like you're at a party and but you don't want to be drinking heavily, but you still want to be in that social drinking element. I think this is a perfect like beer to bring for you i think it's better than any non-alcoholic that i've had recently because it's not you know overly just you know lacking like this still has something to it um yeah i'm enjoying it i don't know if it's worth the price that i paid because i'm honestly i i feel just as good drinking a seltzer water just a not you know I'm old school seltzer, you know, non-alcoholic seltzer. Um, but it's not bad. It's it's. Uh, I'm glad I tried it. I understand. I can see the reason for it. I didn't realize it was 2.5 when I'm like, oh yeah, well I'll get a four pack. But I'm glad I have it now, the weekend that I'm on call. Did you get that four pack because Greg wanted two of them? No, because because <clears throat> that's why Ed, Greg wanted it. Ed said. That he was between the Julius and the other one. And I said, oh, well, I'll get the four pack of the Julius. And then when we get to all together, 
we can all have one to share and drink while we get, you know, pick up the beers. And then we picked up the beers at a brewery and Ed couldn't make it anyway. So I'm, I'm like, OK, I'll drink all four of these. It's fine. Uh, but I'm drinking a beer with alcohol. Uh, 7.9%. This is a double IPA, double dry hopped. Uh, and this beer is called Broccoli, and it comes from other half. Uh, actually, really good. Um, slightly different than most other half beers in the sense that it has some bitter uh, mid-palate. Like, it's very smooth, very easy mouthfeel, but it does have a really nice bitter that does make you want to keep going back and drinking it. And I have maybe have a quarter of the can left, and we started – I started drinking this maybe maybe 10 minutes ago. There's a lot of horseplay before the uh, actual recording started. Um, but for 7.9, it goes down way too easy, uh, and it's pretty darn good. Chris? You nice. got a another tactical beer, right? I do. I have two more tactical beers, and if I do have a third one, it'll be one of the ones I had from last week. Uh, because I I didn't buy so much. We bought so much because I picked up three, four packs, and then my girlfriend picked up two. And she definitely picked up one of the ones that I was kind of like thinking about grabbing. Um, because the first one I'm starting off with is The Order and Chaos. And this is... 5.2%, and this is actually a collaboration between Tactical Brewing Company and Zool. Zool, like... There is no demo? Like, yeah. Uh, from There's Knoxville, Tennessee. And this is a Pina Colada Hazy IPA. Uh, so this is with pineapple, toasted coconut, sabro, and lotus hops. And this is absolutely fantastic. Uh, this is hitting all of the notes that I wish that the... Uh, was it Edmunds Oast one that I had like three or four weeks ago? Uh, this is hitting all of those because it's like a very nice pineapple and like that toasted coconut. Um, yes, I know the Edmunds Oast one was like like a pineapple like soft serve one. Like it's almost must be like a Dole Whip, but this is just a wonderful amount of like bright pineapple like tropical flavor, and then you get a, that nice like nuttiness like from that toasted coconut. Absolutely fantastic. I know I gushed over it last week, so I'm going to try to refrain from doing it again at the end of this episode. Uh, tactical's it, guys. Like, it's it's fantastic. Uh, the other beer I have tonight, I had a sip of it, like, a couple days ago, because Yanni did open one of those up. And I don't remember my thoughts on it, so I'm looking forward to having that one, too, because... Um, yeah, I I can't wait to go back there. I just wish it was closer, but hey, you know what? At least it's in the same state as me. I I apologize for <laughs> for talking about it so much, but yeah, they they've done great. Um, I'm now following them over on Instagram. Like after that night, I started following them, and like just even the food trucks that they have there. Like they had a hot dog food truck there the other day, and I was like, oh, like I want. I want a cholo dog. Like this looks awesome. Um, yeah, it, it it could easily become one of my favorite places once I start going there more often. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, everything that you sent us a picture of, like their cans and um, like a little shot of like their uh, tap, uh, what was on tap, and everything looked good, sounded good. 
and all the can art was awesome. Uh, I didn't hold this one up because this one too, like since it's a collaboration beer, like there's a guy on it that's kind of like he's not their mascot, but their mascot has like a like a bandana over its face. It's like a wolf with a bandana. So this guy's got that on, and then he's holding like one of the demon dogs from Ghostbusters. <laughs> which is obviously like the Zool brewing. Um, yeah, guys, I love it. Uh, something I might not love though, is some of the news we're going to be talking about the week in geek. Guys, uh, the, we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, February 8th, the same day that Nintendo had their Nintendo direct. And, uh, it was filled with announcements of remakes and expansions and DLCs. Um, but I am excited to see one series, well, two series coming back. Uh, one is Professor Layton. This is the uh, puzzle games that I never really got into. They were on the Nintendo DS. I think I got one, got frustrated with the puzzle, and left. But I think I'm older now. I think I'm a little bit wiser. I think I'm a little bit more patient. I think I can handle it. This is uh, Professor Layton and the world of the new world of Steam. So, you know, Professor Layton always had that steampunky kind of vibe. Looks, it looks cool. Uh, when I worked at GameStop, one of the Professor Layton's came out on the 3DS, and it was a franchise I hadn't heard of before, but people were super excited for it. So I've never played any of them. I know he was like a character that popped up in, I don't remember if it was like Smash Brothers or something. Like More than likely. It was randomly in one of those. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, I am... Uh, also was kind of shocked to learn that Disney Island or Disney Illusion Island is going to be a Disney uh, platformer starring Mickey, Minnie, Donald and Goofy in their new animation style. Like the style that you see like now with the everything kind of that retro. Yeah, a little retro, but definitely more like things are a little you know, they're more rubber bandy, rubber, yeah, you know, yeah. rubber hosey. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a four player multiplayer. Uh, hmm. you can, I'm hoping it's couch co-op and not. I was going to say, is the title for this one almost like an homage to something like Castle, Castle. of Illusion? I'm assuming. Oh, excuse me. I, I'm assuming so. OK, I'm that fruit flies so. back. <clears throat> it's trying, to go for, trying to go for my beer. That's cool. And the only oh, what's the other one that I was excited for that I told you guys before? Oh, Ken Mari. Yeah, Ken Mari. But that's just a remaster. That's a, a remaster of We Love Ken Mari reroll plus Royal Riviera. I don't know. Riviera. Uh, I love the Reverie. Games. Royal Reverie. Oh, my goodness. I, I can read. There was a Katamari game that was available on mobile, and I downloaded it because I was like, I really want to play Katamari, but it wasn't like the full Katamari experience. So I think I played it for like three minutes, and I was like, this isn't what I what I want it to be. So I deleted it, and then I honestly haven't even thought about it since then. Katamari is just fun. Like I, it's so stupid, but it's like the perfect just zone out and. <laughs> Like roll your ball up and then like hooray, you did it. Like, it's just fun. And you, you make it. You just have to make it keep on going bigger and bigger and bigger. And it, yeah, it, it's like 
I liked it because of how insane the scale of it got. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 I think it played with the sense of scale really well, and that's what I love. It, though I can't remember which one it was on PlayStation Two. When you beat the game at the very end, you actually started rolling up the countries on the globe. Like you were, <laughs> you had to start small, and then like you just like started to work your way up, and it was fun. Like it was just like one of those things where it was like this isn't a level, but technically it's like the final level and you're trying mm-hmm. to just roll up the entire world before like the credits ended. Uh, I really dug it. And John, you said you didn't have like any strong thoughts towards any like Nintendo stuff. So you're like, eh, Nintendo direct. And I don't either, but as you know, like an old school Nintendo fan, like having an NES and a game boy and like a DS for a while, and the Game Boy Advance, holy crap, I forgot I had that. Um, I think it is cool that Nintendo does do these remasters, and they try to keep that stuff coming out. But at the same time, I hate how Nintendo is also the first company to completely drop all support for anything, and any of like this nostalgia content that people love, they scrub it from the internet. Like you can't listen to any of the old video game soundtracks for anything anymore because Nintendo copyright strikes them all. They're, they're very duplicitous. Like they want that nostalgia, but they don't want it out there for people to consume. And it's just bizarre. No, you must buy our nostalgia our way. You can't enjoy it the way you want to enjoy it, Chris. You can enjoy it how we say it. But, you know, I I got Yanni a Nintendo Switch, and she's been playing Animal Crossing on that, and she really digs it. Like, I got her the Pokemon Let's Go Eevee game, too, because I figured she doesn't play video games, but she likes Pokemon. So, like, that's the entry-level one now for people. So I was like, oh, this will probably be good for her. She hasn't even played it ever because she's so into animal crossing like that's she's very much the well why would i want to play that game i already have a video game which is just weird to me as like my adhd video game self that used to like play a game for 15 minutes be like okay i'm done with this one let me put something else in now i'd love to like get a switch like it just seems like i would enjoy just being able to like go up go upstairs and play it while I'm just laying in my bed or I'm, uh, you know, sitting and play it while Caitlin's watching TV or stuff like that. But it just doesn't seem like there's enough games for the type of gamer that I am. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I can sit and play Mario all the time, so Mario would be there. I heard great things about the, the, the Zelda games. Yeah. But other than that, like, I don't have too much nostalgia for Nintendo games like Super Mario 1, 2, 3 and like Mario World are kind of my my Nintendo stuff like I had other Nintendo games in the 80s and early 90s but they were all like Marvel games or Uncle Fester's Quest uh, from Adam's Family like I don't have those things that I'm like oh yeah I gotta play this from Nintendo I I don't want to say with 100% certainty, but I'm also pretty certain all those Mario games are probably on the Switch. I, I got a Super Nintendo <laughs> that, I, that still works. Uh, yeah, you know? Yeah, I, I, I have the ability to play those games. 
And then I still have the cartridges. So like I can just get a like Paul's got the thing where you just you can plug in the remote, the controllers and you can put the game, any game in from like almost any system. Like I can still play it if I really need to. And that's how you start amassing a collection, because you're like, well, I don't have time now. But if I wanted to, I could play uh, it. Anytime I go to Goodwill, I always like check the DVDs and the, the video game section. There's just random Xbox 360 games that I've bought because I'm like, I'll pay three bucks for Street Fighter 4. Like, I love that one. Like, I might not play it, but if I decide to, like, I'm going to get my three dollars of play out of it. Like, why not? Like, I think I picked up Bioshock 2 for like five bucks. Like. Nice. That's not bad. No, like it's just if it's like the disc isn't too messed up on it, I'll be like, yeah, you know what, whatever. Like it's it'll sit in a box until the day that I'm like, oh crap, I forgot I bought Halo Three. Like, okay, might as well play it. You know. When you go there to Goodwill and you look at those, do you do like the the shoe people that you see on the internet now, and they like flip the shoe around, they're checking everything because you have that GameStop. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> I mean, you used to be I, a GameStop guy. You could. Look at the discs. Wow. So for those of you listening at home, in your car, wherever, maybe the gym, I don't know. Whatever you're listening. I don't think John any went, listeners go to the John gym. John went into his, like, uh, dismissive voice there. He was like, hey, you, gonna, you, you do your GameStop thing? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and yes, John, <laughs> I do. Because I want to make sure the disc isn't, like, too, too jacked up. Because, you know, I mean, granted, I'm not spending a lot. But I want to be able to, like play it yeah 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 oh did i hurt your feelings a little bit (laughs) but speaking of hurt feelings someone else who might be hurting people's feelings is amc we didn't talk about this in the pre-show stuff but i think it's something that's worth discussing uh amc is going to be debuting a new tiered pricing structure i don't know if you guys have heard of this it's called sightline we're depending on where you're pre-buying your seats in the movie theater, you'll be paying different prices. So the seats that are closer to the screen, which aren't your like preferred viewing, mm-hmm. will be cheaper than the ones that are going to be in like the middle, which is like the spot to sit, which will be like a little bit more expensive than the ones that are going to be in the back, which is the just like, hey, it's decent viewing. Uh I'm every time people roll this kind of stuff out, I'm always like, okay, so the actual spot that you want to be in, is that now more expensive than the original price? Like, let's say it costs $18 to go to a movie. I don't even know how much it costs anymore. It's not that much, but maybe preferred seating and slightly. Okay, let's say $15 for a regular show, a wing. And you could get that center seat, spend $15. It's now that seat. $18 and then so there's an increase of $3 but the seat that's the non-preferred the closest to the screen is it now just $14 so oh you that's, only save a dollar they haven't gotten into any of the specifics but my thought is I'm okay with this like if they keep the preferred like hey this is the best seat at the cost that I would be paying if I just went to the movie theater today and then they adjust everything down from there if like you're saying where the preferred seating is more expensive and the 
you know, quote unquote, worst seat, the one closest to the screen mm-hmm. is the price that I would be paying for just a, any movie theater seat. Now I have an issue with it. Yeah. Like I, I don't like that. And, uh, what's his name? Um, Elijah Wood actually came out and like rallied against this being mm-hmm. like going to the movies is something that anyone and everyone can do. Now AMC's almost like, performing class warfare by saying like, Oh, well, if you really want to go to the movies, you're going to be paying this much more when it's not like a level playing field. Like everyone's equal walking into that theater, but now you're not because you're not getting these seats, which I understand. Um, I just, I don't want to spend 20 bucks to get like a decent seat. I would much rather just keep spending my, $13 $13 and be like, okay, what seats are available? Like, okay, we'll take J 12 and 11 because that's, that's what's there. Yeah. Like <clears throat> when we go, Caitlin has the AMC app and rewards and we'll pick our, we'll pick our seats like, or she'll go like, Oh, I looked at this showing. There wasn't really any good seats. So let's do the next showing. Uh, we can get the seats that we want. Like, like you said, like if it is more money to sit in good seats, it's just like, why would anybody want to do that now? Like you're giving another, it seems like they're trying to sell the bad seats for a cheaper price to get more people to go. But it sounds like to me, like you're going to be making people not want to go to the movies. If to sit in a decent seat, you have to pay more. Um, we didn't talk about this either, but it, the, your thought process there kind of reminded me of the whole thing that happened uh, just this past week with Netflix, where they announced like, oh, we're going to be cracking down on password sharing where you need to be logged into your like home, I, like Wi-Fi, IP. And after like 30 days, if you're not on it, like you'll have to like reconnect and log in. We're people are like, Oh no, that's, that's terrible. Like I would rather just pirate it than have to deal with that because I watched stuff on my phone. I watched it on my tablet. Like I take it to work. So at, am I not going to be able to watch stuff there? There was so much blowback that Netflix was like, no, we didn't mean to announce that because that's the only something that's going to be happening in these countries. Like that's not for America. Um, and so then those countries are like, are like this, we got Netflix. <laughs> uh, complete sidebar my thought with the amc thing is if this is something that they do wind up rolling out and depending on the pricing structure for it i actually might wind up going to the amc dine-in theater more because all of the seats there are actually pretty decent there's nothing that's like five feet away from the screen and i can order jalapeno poppers so this is coming up win-win. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know. It just seems like it seems like they were trying to figure out a way to get pe- more people into the theaters because that's been the big thing. Like, if it's not like a big tentpole Maverick, Spider-Man, like one of those kind of big movies, people aren't just they're not going to the movies anymore. And 
I can imagine it being like your normal price for the good seats and then cheap, you know, Paul, like yeah. you go to the cheap shows. Like that's when you and your wife usually go to the movies or, mm-hmm. oh yeah, the dollar theater or this, that. That, that dollar theater or the cheap theater near me no longer is a cheap theater anymore. I heard it's not like five bucks to go see the movie. I haven't actually looked up the prices. I've just heard people complaining about it. So I'll look it up. Paul's very much in Lucille Bluth territory right now. It's like, go see a Star War. <laughs> I don't know how much it costs. Um, yeah. But I think when the previews started coming out for the recent movie, The Menu, like we were like, oh, that that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Like we should see that. We didn't watch it until it came up on HBO Max. Like it wasn't something that we needed to see in a theater. And having watched it at home on a small screen, like it was fine for that. Like that doesn't need to be like a big theater going experience. And I realize not every movie is going to necessitate that kind of like viewing atmosphere, but I, I still like to go to the movies, but I only go for those big budget, big feature. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I want, I want to see this on the big screen. Like I, I have to see this day one. Cause I don't want things spoiled. Like anything else. Like I really want to see uh, that Megan movie. I think it's already on streaming. Like I'm fine with watching that one at home. Like that's not a, yeah big picture like the new M. Night Shyamalan movie the knock at the cabin that's getting really good reviews I'm I'm fine with waiting to see that one and you know that in another month it'll be somewhere where you can watch it yeah the cheap seats near me are now ten dollars uh for evening and seven dollars for uh matinee that's not bad it's it doesn't seem like it's his second run either because they do have like a man called Otto there. They have the Avatar. They have Puss in Boots and 80 for Brady. That's what's showing there now. So Puss in Boots is actually supposed to be really good too. I heard it's supposed to be pretty good. Those are all relatively new, right? Like Puss in Boots has been out for a while. A man so called Avatar. Otto just came out. Um, Avatar has been out has been out for at least what a month and a half. Mm-hmm. It came out like December fourth. So yeah. Because they used to show, like, movies that were going to be released on DVD, like, the next week. Like, that's how, like, second run it was. So, yeah. So maybe they're getting more recent movies, but at a higher cost. And you know what? Whatever. I don't know. That's, no, that's fine. The first time I saw Jurassic Park was at the second run theater in Hamburg the palace like place that we went to for like midnight movies for like five bucks i i was fine with it like i mean granted that was like 30 years ago now but still like (laughs) you know i'm I'm fine with the theater going experience because it's it's something that you need to have i do love going to the movies but i've had such bad times there like i was trying to figure like just like the people around me aren't always the best people to be at the theaters mm-hmm. uh when rise of the uh the rise of the skywalker what was the the last star wars one rise of the skywalker rise of the skywalker yeah i got into it with the guy next to me about him being on his phone 
And he was like, oh, it bothers you? I'm like, yeah, you keep turning your phone on and it's bright and it keeps flashing me. Like, yeah, it bothers me. You're at the movies. Keep your phone off. They say at the beginning of the movie, keep your phone off. Like, I've gotten into arguments quite a few times at the movies because of people not acting right at the movies. I've been on a date with a girl and I told her to stop. Like, this is not proper. Like, don't do this at the movies. You don't yell this. Uh, and it wasn't my wife, but I have told her to shush a couple of times. Uh, Man, shush, shush, shush. I always have a way, phone. John, that you could guarantee that the people in your like immediate section, you know, valued the seat like you do. Like maybe had to pay a certain fee extra. <laughs> See, you you would say that, but for what you pay now to go to the movies yeah. and you get popcorn and do that, you're spending a lot of money to go to the movies. Right. And people don't still don't act right at the theaters. Like my phone lives on silent, but when they pop up that thing where it's like, hey, please, stop, I still check it. Like I haven't had my phone ring in probably 12 years, but you know what? I'm making sure it's on silent. I turn my phone off. I just turn it off. Like nice. that way, I'm not getting a buzz, buzz or a anything, and I just know I'm I'm free. And like Caitlin, sometimes will check her phone, and she's in her purse, and she does that, and she looks over at me, and I'm giving her a look like, "Come on, what are you crazy? We're at the movies. You don't do at the movies. The movies. Nicole Kidman reminded me how magical this experience was on the silver screen. And every <laughs> time that thing appears, I go, "Ooh, what happened to her face? Haven't she seen. looks like she was stung by bees." Oh, I, I'll have to watch the Magic of the Movies trailer on AMC. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, right? It's probably out there. Uh, I'll, only other news story I have written down is something actually, John, you sent this to the group chat. And this is uh, DC Comics cutting payments to some of their writers who are handling their big event books. Uh, yeah. So from the writer of this says it has very good sources that – Writers on these events um, are getting like half their pay or some of their pay docked to give to the people who are kind of like show running these event books. So instead of just having one editor oversee it, they'll have a creative team. Um, mm. The metal uh, ser- miniseries was actually Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder who were doing that. So with them doing that, anyone who did spinoff books we're actually having money of theirs go to those two guys as like a payment for them to do this. And that's after they've already like you sign a thing saying like, oh, you will be paid X amount of money. And then when you get your money, you're missing money going like, Hey, what happened? They're like, Oh, you a portion of that went to, to these guys. Um, in that article that, that I had sent you, Mark Wade actually contacted that writer and said, like, I don't know if this is a practice, but I can assure you that I did not do this. And mm-hmm. the other creative person on this, uh, Lazarus, the Lazarus Mr. books planet. Yeah. Uh, he did not do that. So I don't I don't know if this is happening, but I didn't do this. I, and maybe some other people are. I can understand like having a show kind of like somebody running all of that big event stuff, but they should be paid 
for doing that versus not having buy. it not by like cutting off money from the writers or artists on those other books. Yeah, I feel like that's something that should be talked about when you're being handed one of these like spin-off or like tie-in books where it's like, hey, like you're gonna be paid this because you know, writer A is overseeing like producing the whole thing, so some of that work's gonna be taken off of your plate, but it sounds like some of the stuff isn't what's happening because again, one of the sources was like, Oh, I never even talked to this guy. Like I submitted my scripts and everything was published as was written. So yeah. why am I being like charged or docked or paid less for that? I, I yeah. could see it if the scripts were submitted and then the showrunner went through and did rewrites and yeah. did like series rewrites or edit it and be like, Hey, I like what you did here, but, we're actually going to be having this character do this in this book. Can you alter this kind of a thing? But that should all have been laid out beforehand. But also when you sign that contract, yeah. it says you're going to write this book, this book, this book, this book. Or art for these mm-hmm. books. This is what you're going to get paid. You sign on that dotted line to get paid that. And then when you get your check, you're like, hey, we're, what happened? Well, there's yeah. fees. We, we had to take fees out. And that's to pay these showrunners. Yeah, that's that's who are also big writing mm-hmm. and art teams who are running these things that are probably getting paid a pretty decent amount of money to yeah. do these event books. One so, would hope, but um, you know what? It seems gross. I, I, I don't it know. Is, yeah. It seems it just seems gross. Like I can I'm trying to think of a way where it isn't gross. And even if it was like, oh, well, your script had to be, go through serious rewrites. Well, yeah, the rewrites would have had to happen because of poor communication before the project started. Yeah. So that's it. Just yeah, it's not good. Nothing is good in that. No. It's yeah. It just. Yeah. It like you said, Paul, it's just <laughs> it's just gross. Like. It just is a shady it's a shady thing to do. It's like when you think of like used car salesmen scamming you and like, nah, nah, real good tires. And then you look at them and they're bald tires. Like it just seems like you're you're doing this work on faith of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend my time, even as an artist, I'm going to spend hours upon hours upon hours of my day, week in, week out drawing all of this handing it in expecting a certain paycheck and then not getting that because a portion got taken to give to someone else and for some of it like it said like half half of what you're Mm. supposed to get paid that's gross it is gross you know what don't buy event books everybody (laughs) first of all they're not great they don't matter in a year and then second of all Creators are being hurt by that. Yeah. yeah. Pushed back. Damn the man. Save the empire. What doesn't suck, Paul? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, drinking with your friends. That doesn't suck. Are you guys ready for your next beer? I have to am. run and go get it. So right. Chris, talk well, about Chris, yours. You guys have the same beer? I don't know. You're drinking. You're drinking seltzer water. Okay, so John just was not prepared. That's fine because my next beer from Tactical Brewing Company 
is their Chaka Moa, and this is a strawberry kiwi sour, six mm-hmm. percent ABV, and this is delightful. Uh, I don't think I love it as much as the other beers that I've had from them. It's just a very straightforward, like fruit punch sour. Yes, it tastes like strawberry. It tastes like kiwi. If you told me this was just like a new flavor of like uh, Hawaiian punch, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I got that. Uh, it doesn't seem alcoholic at all. It just seems like a strawberry kiwi fruit punch, which I think shouldn't sound like a knock against this beer because it's fulfilling the promise that it is. I just like the other beers I had more because they felt more like beers. And maybe I'm wrong for that. I don't know. Here, here comes accusatory John again. Bah, 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 you beers? You drink beers? Hey. Yeah, John, what beers are you drinking? <clears throat> so I am drinking well-worn boots, black IPA from Thin Man Brewery in collaboration <laughs> with well-worn boot. Uh, and this is okay. I actually think the Raven that we had last week, Paul, was actually a little bit better than this. Oh, Very boy. roasty. It's a right up front. I, I, Raven wasn't bad. It was bad, but it was good. It was it great. Was, it was good. It wasn't great. Uh, didn't I rate it like a two point something on Untapped? I don't know. Paul, like your <laughs> rating system is insane because you rated things that you didn't like fours for years and then all of a sudden uh everything's bad but uh so real roasty up front you get a little bit of that hot bitter but then it is just kind of ghosty it's very thin on the mouthfeel uh maybe a little more getting into it because i literally sat down and took two gulps out of it uh before giving this review i'm gonna spend a little more time with this beer um and see if it definitely gets a little bit better uh after taking a couple other sips of my Chocomoa, it does feel like more of a beer. Like, it is a very fruit punchy up front. Again, not a bad thing. But now that I'm a little bit further into it, it does have more like that that beeriness to it. I, I apologize for snap judgments. Still a little thin. Still a little, a little thin on this beer. And speaking about thin, man, my pull list is thin for this week, guys. Oh, come on, Chris. These are the comic books coming out on February 15th, 2023, after all. And yes. aren't you excited for another chilling adventure? Of Sabrina? With our, well, now, with this time with Betty as the final girl. And Chilling Adventures presents Betty, the final girl. One shot. Uh, Betty's invited up to a luxurious a ski resort like a, a mountaintop chalet with Veronica, you know, for the weekend. But then Archie comes and shows up and whisks Veronica away for a romantic evening someplace else, leaving Betty alone on top of the mountain. All covered in cheese. Wait, yep. that's that's a different yeah. different mountain. That's a spaghetti mountain. Oh, I want to climb spaghetti mountain, guys. <laughs> it's difficult to get uh, your footing. I wouldn't get there because I'd just start eating it from the bottom. I love <laughs> I was going to say something. Nope, not doing it. 
Um, Ozzy, <laughs> we talked about this. I don't remember if it was recorded when we did uh, the Archie versus the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another one of these Archie like alternate universe takes that I'm actually excited to read. Like this, this sounds cool. I'm excited for it. Uh, I'm not a huge horror guy. So like it having Archie always like makes, it has a little bit of comfort to it. Like it's not going to get too, too crazy. Too over the top, but uh, you know, and, and it's characters that I already, you know, don't, there's really nothing that you need to know about Archie. When I think these books, these Archie books work, and we've talked, mm-hmm. we've talked uh, a lot about Archie lately. Um, when these work, books work is when they put those characters into a genre and they treat that genre with respect with these characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the problem with the book that we read for Look Back is what genre was it in? Was it Mad Max? Was it this weird Kung Fu thing? Like the Mad Max stuff we all liked out of that comic book. It was all the weird fist of the North star that we kind of had the problem with. So with doing this, if they keep to that kind of respectful of the genre, I think it'll work because that's when we've liked these books the most. And afterlife with Archie was just, so well done. Well, what do you think is well done that you're going to be picking up and buying this week, John? Because I heard Chris has a very light week, so I'm going to let him bruise his, his list a little bit more. Uh, so I am looking forward to from Image Comics. This is The Last Barbarians, number one, uh, written in art by Brian Haberlin, uh, who's not a writer who or artist really that I know. Uh, but this is follows uh, a young woman who is uh, in your fantasy kind of realm, but is a uh, jack of all trades and doesn't really have a class. And without being someone who's actually has a class, you can't get into a guild, which means you can't go on to these adventures uh, and her, uh, eight foot seven foot brother who is disabled uh needs medicine needs help and she goes to this sketchy cleric for a job to go on an adventure but she doesn't know whether or not she's going to be able to survive this adventure to bring home the bacon the money the scratch the whatever to see the cheddar the cheddar uh the broccoli uh, to save her, um, to save her brother, uh, and it looks, it sounds interesting, but the covers on this are really amazingly well done by uh, Brian ha- uh, uh, Haverlin, um, which it, the cover is what kind of caught my eye, and um, I'm willing to give it a check out. I love, I love fantasy. I love kind of stories like this. I think. Uh, Hopefully it'll be good enough to maybe make it for a look back of this month. Interesting. Chris, uh, you're ready. Your, your thin list. My thin list. Cause I only have two books coming out. Uh, so I get a chance to talk about a book. I haven't had a chance to talk about before because this is going to be the dead lucky number six. Yes, that's right. I'm pulling a Paul and buying the end of a story arc. 
yeah. uh, with number six here. I did purchase and read issue number one, but I haven't been able to track down issues two through five yet. It's on my back issue buy list. Uh, but this is coming out from Image Comics, and this is actually part of the massive verse. So the comic little corner universe uh, set up by Kyle Higgins in Radiant Black. And this is telling the story about uh, Phoebe Lopez-Yang, who is a uh, vet from the Afghan war, who comes back home to her little corner of San Francisco to find it being almost fought over by a tech, uh, tech consortium called Maro, like to Maro. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the day and then at night, like it's overrun by gangs. And not only did she come back from Afghanistan a little bit more rough around the edges and depressed, but she also came back with electricity powers. Uh, and she's taking it upon herself to start to fight back against both of these warring fronts in her hometown. Talked about it with my look forward. I'm loving the massive verse stuff. My pick two weeks ago for uh, the list was Rogue Sun, one of the other books in this like pocket universe. I can't wait to pick up issues two through five of the Dead Lucky, so then I can read number six, which I'm gonna have to leave on my read pile until I get that full story. Because I'm really digging this. Uh, I never thought I would be one of the people that's enjoying my my indies more than my main universe stuff from like DC and Marvel, but Image is just killing it right now. Like Dead Lucky, Rogue Sun, uh, Radiant Black, the other new book that just started off in this uh, Inferno Girl Red. I'm having a lot of fun with all of this stuff, so I'm looking forward to whatever else they wind up pushing out from this little like mini imprint. Nice. It is nice. And you know what else is nice? Dramatic readings. And now a dramatic reading from Nightwing number 90 page 15 panel four. Mm. A bit disoriented. Wally brought you here without warning first? Yeah. He'll do that. It's a terrible habit. There's a dramatic reading from Nightwing, number 90, page 15, panel 4. Very nice. Nightwing is nice. I love that book so, so much. It's been a great book. Yeah. And you know, it's got a somebody? great... It's got a great writer on it. <laughs> is that written by uh, by somebody we love here in our month of love for our main topic, Chris? Is that what you're going to get? It's It very well could be. I, I carefully curated my list because I know that we're probably going to have some crossover, much like we did with our cover artists. I think this is a great opportunity for us to talk about writers, which yeah. we love to talk about, but really give them their due and i have no issues with anybody taking anybody that's on my list because well not only do i have a reason not only do i have alternates but it still gives me a chance to talk about them and support them so i am lovingly going to throw it over to paul first paul who who is your first writer 
that you want to talk about for the month of love? I'm going to, you know, just preface this uh, that I, I noticed something with me that all the writers that I have written are, you know, kind of give me a throwback equality. They can they can harken back to an age where I really enjoyed either the character or the time in comics or give me a view of, you know, an older style written in a modern way. And uh, somebody that does that quite a bit that I don't think you guys are going to mention. So I'm going to mention them is uh, Peter David, hmm. you know, writer, of you know, the X Factor books. He also goes through and uh, it, it, he's I think Joe fix it right now. He's yeah, doing, he, he keeps going back to all his his classic characters from the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. And he brings them up to date in a fun way. And uh, I'm here for it. I'm always so when I see his name and it's a character that I also like, like it makes me notice, you know, I'm bringing him up now kind of as my number three. Um, I know this is probably more free form than that. But, you know, I was just thinking, oh, he he's probably the guy that I I'm like, always go, huh, maybe I should pick it up. But then I usually don't because if it doesn't, you know, if it's not a book that I'm interested in. But it's always a writer that I'm always like happy to see still working. Sixty six years old, this guy. Uh, He's a character that I like that he is still working, but he's not. He's not someone who I am drawn to or I see him on a book and I'm like, oh, I got to pick it up. Mm-hmm. I picked Joe Fix It a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month. I think number two just came out. So a month ago for that Joe Fix It book, mm-hmm. which is more of my love of Joe Fix It than it was of Peter David, um, only because I have like some Wolverine comics where – Wolverine and Joe Fixit got together and did a bunch of stuff. Um, so yeah, like that's my that's me and, and Peter David. In one of those issues was one of the things they got together to do was like put together IKEA furniture. No, it's to beat up oh. people. Okay. Oh, classic Joe Fixit and Wolverine mess around. Me lose dowel. <laughs> Wolverine does shink shinks a new one. Uh, as two John. people carry, Hulk carry alone. <laughs> so, John, what, what uh, writer, writer are you uh, in love with this February? So, I looked at this as my favorite works, like my favorite favorites books, the ones that will go down that I will always talk about. And every year for my birthday, I grab one of the trades of Matt Fraction's Hawkeye and sit down and read it. Uh, I love that series. I love everything he did with that. Uh, Matt Fraction is someone who I own other books that he's he's written or co-written. And he is someone that when I see him on a book, I will take notice and I will usually pick up. But his Hawkeye run uh, just was one of those books that brought me back to Marvel. Um, There had been books by like Ed Brubaker, his Captain America, his Daredevil runs were books that I loved, uh, books that I would go to. But for some reason, 
right when that book came out was also when Mark Wade was doing Daredevil. And both those books were like, this is what I want out of Marvel books. And it's kind of what I used to get out of DC books. Um, but yeah, his Hawkeye run is is up there as one of my favorite series. Uh, and I will remember him as one of those writers that brought me my favorite series. Uh, yeah, like straight up the um, the Iron Fist stuff yeah. that he was doing, too. I had no problem buying you those Iron Fist books for <laughs> like your birthday or whatever. I was picking them up because then it was like a case of like, hey, you mind, you mind if I read? But if I read this after, <laughs> like just that that arc of telling the stories of the different Iron Fists through like the generations and through the years, like yeah. there was like the pulpy one was like Guns Akimbo style, like so good, uh, yes, yeah. so him, good. It was him and um, it was him and uh, Brew Baker, and then yeah. Aja uh, uh, as the artist as well, and like. It took me a while to go like, man, this art is great in this book because I do go back and reread this every once in a while or especially if I'm handing it off to somebody. And then I was like, this art seems really familiar. Oh, yeah, it's I love it from. Hawkeye. Nice. Nice. Chris, you so said he had a list. I had I got a list and yeah. I might have telegraphed it a little bit, guys, because, you know, we just talked about Nightwing. <laughs> so I'm gonna pick a night ring, Nightwing writer. Uh, psych, because it's not gonna be Tom Taylor. It's actually gonna be Kyle Higgins, who I also talked about because he is the architect behind Image Comics' Massive Verse. Uh, basically, what he did with setting up Radiant Black was then reach out to people that he was friends with and writers that he's worked with at other companies to be like, hey. I'm starting this little thing like you want to be a part of it. And that's where some of these writers for stuff like Rogue Sun or uh, Dead Lucky or Radiant Pink are coming in because they're people that he brought in to play a part in that universe. And it's kind of funny, not funny, haha, but talking about how DC Comics is cutting the payment for some of those writers because they're giving it to someone who's like overseeing everything. But Kyle Higgins just seems like he's just a guy that's like got a cool story to tell. And he wants his friends to tell the stories alongside of him. Like ego aside, like he's just like, Hey, like let's jam man. Like, and I really dig it. Um, I've, I've talked about like the massive stuff a bit now, but he's also written a bunch of other stuff that we've really loved because he did Gates of Gotham alongside Scott Snyder when that miniseries was coming out. Uh, he was also the Nightwing writer for like six years uh, when they were doing like the Court of the Owl stuff. Um, while I wasn't a big fan of his Power Rangers, really dug what he did with Darkhawk and how much I'm enjoying the massive stuff right now makes me feel like maybe I should be going back and checking out that Power Ranger stuff because speaking hyperbolically, of course, everyone loves what's happening in the Power Rangers comic books right now. Like it's, mm. it's a big like relaunch. Um, just looking at his credits here. He's also done some other stuff with winter soldier and some of the other like 
Marvel anthology books that they put out. But there's also another new massive book coming out. I want to say it's in April called No One. Hell yeah, sign me up. I'm going to be there for that one, too. So, uh, yeah, Kyle Higgins, my pick. Nice pick. Good pick. You want to go? Um, I just want to say, like, Jeff Lemire kind of did the same thing with his Black Hammer series, which were, like, retelling kind of, of those classic Marvel and DC superheroes he was just inviting a lot of his people and like, hey, you got a cool story that you always wanted to tell, but couldn't get it or that character is not around anymore. Uh, but my number two is one that you guys are already going to know, uh, because I don't know if we talked about it during last week's show, but we talked about it after. And that is Cullen Bunn uh, <laughs> and with his work on Six Gun. Six Gun is up there is one of my favorite series. I love it. Uh, and I had read Colin Bunn before, but when I started reading that book and that series and continued on with it, uh, he was definitely a name. Anytime he started something, I would pick it up. If I stayed on it, who knows? Uh, but I appreciate everything that he does do he does a lot of horror stuff which i'm a horror movie fan but he's just one of those writers that i really love his thought process of what he does i will always give him a shot but six gun will go down is one of my favorite comics of all time um yeah he would definitely be in my top five and on this list, he's my top two. He's one of your guys. He is one of my guys. Uh, wow. I'll go uh, with my number two, and I'm going to go with uh, Kevin Scott. He's the uh, lead writer over at the Star Wars uh, High Republic stuff. He wrote the Star Wars High Rep- the first High Republic book for Star Wars, and now he does the comics as well. He's kind of like one of the showrunners for you know with the High Republic. Um, so when I see his name on one of the Star Wars comic books, I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit more interested. I, I take a little bit more notice because there's a lot of Star Wars comic books, guys, and we've read a few of them. And we've read a, quite a few. lot of them. Yeah, we've, and there's quite a few that aren't that great. You might not have stayed on it, but we've read them. So. <laughs> We're wearing my Star Wars hat right now. Yeah. So Kevin Scott. Yeah. Nice. I, Honestly, I'm I'm sorry to say that I can't really think yeah. of things that he's done. I know I've read one or two issues of those because we picked them for the look back, but that's okay. Because this is Chris has got a got his number two, and it's going to be one that we're all going to talk about. Yeah, and I just want to say we all don't need to love these picks. It's your pick, so yeah. That's all. I mean, no, no, I'm, no. We're we're enshrining these forever as our top ten Magnum Boardcast writers of all time. I'm sure. I'm sure we've probably done that before. <laughs> They're going on the like Magnum Boardcast from Mount Rushmore. Um, we just need to find an Indigenous people's uh, sacred land to uh, you know destroy. That's all. That's all we're waiting for. And then we'll build our our own Mount Rushmore. That's it. Real estate. Yep. That's it. Um, my number two shouldn't come as a surprise, guys. I mean. I talked about it before. 
I kind of teased it, but I read Harrington. Um, but obviously, like I said, I'm going to be picking a Nightwing writer. Um, psych got you because it's an older Nightwing writer, because I'm actually going to be going with Chuck Dixon. Uh, oh. Chuck Dixon wrote, like, the not original, but like the seminal like Nightwing stuff that I got into in like 1996, 1997. He was also the writer on the Tim Drake Robin comic book when that launched and that started coming out. He is like a Batman's writer, Batman's writer. Like he has touched like all of these characters. He has done so many great stories with all of them. Like, everybody in the bat family into the larger DC universe as well. Um, he, he's basically my reason for being a bat fam fan. Um, Cause he, he basically wrote the book on all of them. Get it. Comic book writers. I got, I got jokes guys. Did it. Did it. Thank you. Yeah, no, uh, I don't really re- well his night ring stuff. He did a run on X Men that wasn't great though, right? Like, is that what I'm remembering, or if, am I thinking of somebody ah, else? You might be thinking of someone else. Chuck Dixon, though. No, let me. Uh, so that was that when he went back to and he bought out uh, Harley or uh, Alias he did, Circus. He did. He did Punisher over oh, at. Okay. Uh, but he was also one of the right. Uh, now I'm just going through uh, his bibliography, but he was also a writer at CrossGen. He did the Way of the Rat book. Um, he did some Simpsons comics for Bongo. Um, yeah, man, like it's, Birds of Prey. Yeah, he was like the the he launched that title too. Hmm. Nice. He, he was the writer that broke Batman's back with Bane. Yeah, he did. Um, Nightfall. Night- Nightfall. Thank you. I couldn't. I could not think of the name of it. Yeah, it was him and Alan Davis that were kind of like the key writers during that time on uh, the Bat Family stuff. Yeah, very cool. Very like, good pick. Of, if you think about a character or a storyline from '90s Batman stuff, like he he was like the architect for a lot of that. He created the original Secret Six one shot in 1997 that they brought that back. Hmm. We did a lot of cross-gen work, too. I just said that. <laughs> Way of the rat. <laughs> yeah, All right. Guys. I was looking up stuff when you said that. I'm wow. going to go with my number one because I don't think it's going to be a number a, a, a surprise at all. Is it Nightwing right writer? No. Nah, well, I think he's written everybody in the DC universe now. Uh, and also everybody over in Marvel's universe. And that's Mark Wade. Like, come on. I knew one of us was going to be picking him. Like, because he talked about people that can do a throwback kind of issue, but do it in a modern style. Uh, Give me characters in a way that feel classic and timeless. Mark Wade. You know, that's what he does. He just takes characters that I had no interest in, Daredevil, uh, and write them in such a fun way that I can't help but enjoy the work. Um, now world's finest. It's like I, I, I'm slowly discovering, guys. I, I think, I think I'm a Superman fan. <laughs> All those years, I we've made fun of producer Scott for liking Superman more than Batman and not understanding yeah, but, it. Yeah, that's 
That's he didn't read comic books. He just liked Superman as the icon. <laughs> yeah. Because even when we gave him great Superman comics, he was like, eh, I don't like it. Uh, no, I mean, Mark Wade, we've we've gushed for the last couple months about mm-hmm. Mark Wade. So, yes, Mark Wade was I thought about putting him on my list. I knew that one of us would probably pick him. Um, and as much as I love his work and in his work spans just the huge test of time, all of this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I mean, we talked about Alex Fantastic. Ross last week with with Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. He's touched, like you said, Paul, he's touched just about every character and has just made them great. He's made them better. And then a lot of his uh indie stuff too is 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 great um what's his uh uh what is it um archie Beth no he did do Ar- that he did do that but great. what was um when the the superman s character goes bad irredeemable uh, irredeemable uh which is excellent um and then uh, uh uncorru- incorruptible as well, uh, yeah, I think that was. I didn't read that. that was a, that was the sister book, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um he's I'm, done. I thought he had one more in that line, but I don't. I think I think there is. Uh, even he's done like. It makes me want to go read his uh, shadow stuff, because shadow's not a uh, shadow mm-hmm. to me is Alec Baldwin, and Tim Curry dancing around on the movie screen, where he's written those characters he's written a ton of those classic characters that you're like well i bet if mark wade's writing them i would really like them and he boils them down to a point that just gives you the essence of what that character should be um yeah he's a guy that i would if i was walking through and i saw a trade and his name was on it and it wasn't something that i usually read i would probably pick it up because it's it's Mark Wade. Nice. But something else I would pick up mm. is a beer. And oh, another uh, one. Chris, is this Chris, Chris asked for it. And this is cheddar. So I'm having my <laughs> broccoli and cheddar tonight. Uh, another dry hopped double IPA from other half. Uh, we are looking at the hops in this beer. Citra. Equinox. Kuhatu. Bless you. And Watiti, uh, 7.9, Imperial Brewed, with notes of leche, green tropical fruits, and mild citrus. Yeah, I get the leche. Um, really good. Actually, pref- think this is better than um, than broccoli. Uh, and these are the cheddar broccoli are kind of their flagship um they're flagship beers, so these aren't as super juicy as some of their newer stuff that they do. So it does still have that little bit of bitter on it, um, but definitely, uh, definitely very, a very, very good beer. But who I think is a very, very good writer uh, can be summed up in three letters, and that is BKV. Uh, Brian Kavon. 
Brian K. Vaughn uh, wrote a book about lions, and it was ex- exceptional, and there was barely any dialogue to it. Uh, but the book that sealed the deal on him with me is Saga. Saga is probably my favorite comic book series uh, of all time. Absolutely love that book. But Brian K. Vaughn, when he writes Doctor Strange, when he write, when he creates the hood, uh, all those characters that he touches, much like Mark Wade, uh, I usually am floored by and love. Uh, I do. There's been many, I wouldn't say arguments, but many conversations heated about why the last man. I don't get it. Uh, I appreciate it. I just don't love it. It just didn't sing to me. Uh, but there's two other people on this thing that love that series so much more than I do. Um, but yeah, anything he usually he writes, I usually absolutely love. And he's another guy, too, that uh, finds the right artist for his book and then stays with that person throughout it. And with all the breaks that he's done on Saga, weren't really for him, but for Fiona Staple to to be like, take your time. I'm not I'm not going to just wear you out. You want to do other things? You want to do other things? I'll take almost a year and a half off to two years to let you do your thing. And when you're ready, you tell me. When you say you're done with this book, we will end it. Uh, and that's another thing that I kind of appreciate about him. Yeah, I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like, Why Last Man is one of my all-time favorite comic books. From start to finish, that one, it just keeps chugging along, and it works so well. But even, I mean, Saga, it's a book that I love. And I don't want to say I'm a lapsed Saga fan, because they did take that hiatus from it. And at that point, I kind of, like... I don't want to say it fell off, but it wasn't on my radar because it's like, okay, I, I got time to read other stuff. And now I desperately do want to catch back up on it. But even some of like my other favorite comic books, like Runaways, consistently one of my favorite superhero comic books. He created that. Something like as weird and off the wall as like Paper Girls. Paper he Girls did that. Really good. I don't remember the name of the, like the one shot book that he did with. Um, I want to say the artist was like Marcos Martin, where it like took place in like the future where everything was like social media ran. I I'll look it up later and then be like, oh yeah, that was it. Um, but to your point, like Pride of Baghdad, like an absolutely amazing original graphic novel that we actually went to a bookstore's like graphic novel club to sit down and discuss that book just because we were like hey this is the thing for us to do like let's go like oh hey we've already read all the books that they're going to be sitting down to talk about cool we got this um pound for pound one of the best like serialized writers uh even outside of comic books i know paul you weren't a fan of it though uh, Lost, like he came on to Lost, I want to say it was like around like season four or season five. Um, I love it. Like I just love his storytelling, and I think 
the comic book medium is better for him being in it. Right. Um, Man from yeah, Tallahassee was favorites. Man from mm-hmm. Tallahassee was one of his episodes too. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah. Great pick, John. Great pick. Chris, <laughs> you're number one. Paul, you don't have anything to say about BKV? I really enjoy him. I just miss him so much because he's not writing a book that I enjoy right now. With you know, I'm just how John feels about Why the Last Man. I feel the same way about Saga. Well, I you know what? But I feel the last time when we made you read that trade, mm-hmm. we turned we turned you towards towards that book a bit. A little bit, yeah. And you know, maybe one of these days I'll sit down and. I just I don't get how you both can be so right about one book and so <laughs> wrong about another one when they're by the same guy. I don't same know. Um, all right. I mean, all joking, kidding aside, um, there's been kind of a theme to all of my picks. I'm not sure if you guys were able to pick up on it. Um, they're all loved by Michael Jackson. All the answers are always Michael Jackson when you do a quiz. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> That was a good good throwback because even I can remember that was one of the things. Um, no, every everyone I'm picking has had some sort of connection to uh, Mr. Dick Grayson himself, and my number one writer is no stranger to that because he's basically written everybody else in the DC universe at one time or another, and this is Mr. Neil Gaiman. Um, yes. Dick Grayson has popped up in some of his other books. Uh, he also did the after Batman died in what was the crossover Final Crisis? Was that it? Yeah, it was Final Crisis. Where he was like shot by mm-hmm. uh, Darkseid, Darkseed. I still don't. I still don't know how to pronounce that dude's name. His Omega Beam. Yeah, um, he did the basically Batman eulogy comic book with Andy Kubert. And it's just like such a weird out there book. But when you read it, knowing that it came from the creator of Sandman and world acclaimed fantasy writer, Neil Gaiman, it makes sense. And it makes you take a look at that book in a different way. Um, Sandman, one of my all time favorite comic books. I have looked for any opportunity that I can have to talk about sandman on this podcast over the past like 12 years we've been doing it and i think i've been pretty successful in that because we've done multiple sandman spotlight episodes whether it's like a look back a trading policy a look at the sandman tv show when that came out um my my whole podcasting career has just been to <laughs> loud this fantastic creator that doesn't need any more accolades thrown at his feet but god damn it i'm gonna do it again because much like james gene is a fine artist that i got into from comic books with his fables covers neil gaiman is a word book writer that i got into because of his work on sandman and one of the things that i do love about comic books is there's such a wealth of creators that all come from different mediums or backgrounds that just get to tell stories in this one way that opens it up to everybody. I mean, there's probably people that did come to comic books because they saw something like lost and were like, Oh, the new writer producer on this has done comic books. Let me check this out. And that's how they found something like 
Why the Last Man or, you know, Down the Road Saga. Um, he's just a masterful storyteller, and I love that he just chooses to play in the comic book's sandbox, if you will. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I I enjoy and deeply like Neil Gaiman's works. He's definitely someone who I think excels at the medium as well as every other medium that he touches. Uh, American Gods was a great TV series that I was like, hmm, I'll read this book and have read the 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 first book in that series. I I don't know if it was more than a series, but I read one of the books. Um, yeah, he's one of those people like books of magic. I love it. It's Harry Potter before Harry Potter. Uh, uh, Doctor Who. He did what was it, like the what was it called like the Doctor's the, Wife? The we- the, yeah. yeah, and the Weeping Angels. Uh, that episode, like, yeah, he's he's one of those people that whatever he touches, I love because he comes at it at such a different way. Mm-hmm. And he's an extremely educated, very eloquent person when you hear him uh, speak as well. Um, absolutely, hands down, will be one of the best comic book writers of all time in my in my personal opinion he wouldn't be my number one but he will probably always be in my top 10 and if somebody says who's you know name some of the best comic book writers he'd probably be one of the first names that i would mention just because he's touched so many things that i know that person would probably know him from something um, Good Omens was probably something that yeah. really brought a lot of people's attention to to that. And then how successful, um, how successful, how successful Sandman was on Netflix as well. Mm-hmm. He is a writer that I take in like moderate doses. Like he's so, you know, he, he has a very good craft. There's a craft to him. But then there's like some stories like the ones of, you know, with the the cats hunting and the mm-hmm. the power story and all that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and even the uh, good night, Batman, the Batman epilogue, where it's just like, yeah, that's a real big miss for me. Like he takes those. That's, big a, that's OK. Like I, I loved it because it is so different. And he did basically like the same kind of thing in Sandman when. I mean, spoilers for a book that's like 35 years old now, like after Morpheus dies and like he has a bunch of like the side characters all come through and like give a eulogy for it. And it's it's so striking and haunting. Like, I just I love it. Um, you're, you're not wrong for feeling how you feel. Like, I, I get it, because if you just I, pick that up expecting to get a Batman book, you'd be <laughs> like, the hell? Like, what? It's I, I I enjoy him. I think he is definitely on the pantheon of some of the greatest comic book writing. I just can get tired of some. Just so you know how sometimes like when Grant Morrison goes to Grant Morrison, mm-hmm. I think Neil Gaiman can sometimes go to Neil Gaiman, and it's and I can't keep up with it. I, there's definitely there was definitely a time where Chris gave me. All of his Sandman trades. Mm-hmm. 
and I read maybe half of them. And as I was finishing them, because we'd see each other multiple times during a week, I'd, I'd hand them back to him. And I think there was a time where I wasn't handing them back off to him. And uh, he was like, oh, you know, he's still reading it. I was like, just like you, Paul, I was like, I just need to take a break. Like I I pounded through so many of them so fast. And I don't think necessarily, yes, it needs to be read in order and. But it doesn't need to be binged as Mm -hmm. I was doing it um, that I ended up giving him his stack back. Minus that one that I read. And when I gave him that one back, he'd give me the next one. Mm-hmm. And then it would be a couple of weeks and I'd read it or whatever until I, I finally finished it. But it's something, yes, it's not. It's it's a lot. It's heavy. Mm-hmm. And when you hear him speak or you hear interviews with him, you can understand, like, who that person is and what he's writing. Um when the Sandman series was about to premiere, uh, not to promote another highly successful uh, podcast, uh, but uh, Mark Marin's uh, WTF podcast had a amazing interview with Neil Gaiman mm. and spoke about his start of his career, how he figured out how to write comics because he had never written comics with Sandman and everything that he did and learned from that. And I thought the interview was just absolutely exceptional, especially someone who for the last 20 years that I've been reading comics has been present in my life in a, in a way with everything that he's done and things that I've picked up here or there. Um, but I thought it was an exceptional interview with him that I would recommend anyone, even if you've just watched the Sandman Netflix series to, to listen to, because it's, it's really interesting how, how and what everything he's done. So uh, I'm, I might be misremembering, but when he started writing comics, didn't he reach out to like Alan Moore to be like, Hey, how do you do this? And like Alan Moore gave him some like writing samples. And like, after he like kind of copied that style and he like, he turned the script to the writer was like, Oh, you don't need to do this much. This is like, (laughs) this is something like Alan Moore does. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It, it may be yeah something like that uh, i i do have like i have a book it's called there's a couple of volumes of it. it's called uh comics writers on like comics script writing and i think it's or comic writing and they're fantastic uh like deep dives into the writers and like their processes um but to your point too randomly i got suggested a interview with him and it's like from the the wired youtube channel where it's basically like people submitting questions about mythology to him just like whatever like mythological like gods and goddesses they wanted and he knows exactly everything that everybody's talking about and then would go off on like a five ten minute like oh well you know this happened from this because you know they believe this at this time which then led to this like He's such a wealth of knowledge and storytelling that I'm I'm just in awe. Like he's he's fantastic. Uh, well, like one of the stories he he told in that interview um, was when the actress who is playing Death 
took that role before she took that role he sat her down and said like if this has any impact like the comic book did you need to be aware that people will come up to you and talk to you about death and death of loved ones and families because i've had it for the last 30 some odd years that people have been able to process death or this or that because of this character that I've written or they'll come up and be extremely angry at what, what, what I did. And I still have to talk to them and figure out where and why. And this man who created this character of death, every time he goes somewhere, someone will approach him and talk to him about someone that has died, has recently died or has died in their past. And he has to, be charming and, and empathetic to these people because he did something that touched them in a certain way for this character that he created. And to be cognizant of, oh, I need to not be an asshole when somebody comes up to me and wants to talk to me about their brother or their mother or their father or their son. Like, it's it's definitely, he's definitely a unique person that, has empathy and loves his fan base where there's other people, other writers who are deeply loved, who are not people who are approachable or spout crazy things or, which brings us to John's honorable mention, Frank Miller. (laughs) (laughs) No, those, that's it. Does anyone have anyone else that they kind of want to, did Paul do number one? Yeah. Yeah, It was Mark Wade. Okay. I'm surprised that we didn't mention Tom Taylor. Uh, I thought I know Sean would have picked him. He's he's on my list, yeah. literally. Like he, yeah, he is there. But uh, I'm surprised. There's so many uh, good writers. James James Robinson wasn't one of Paul's. Yeah, I I honestly thought it would have been him when Paul was setting up uh, Peter David, where he's like, oh, you know, that's like a good throwback style. Well, because what's James Robinson working on right now? I don't know. It doesn't have to be like your favorite comics right now. Yeah. yeah, you keep doing stuff in the present where I'm just thinking, like, yeah. for all of this, I just keep thinking of my favorite of all time. The things that when somebody asks me in 50 years from now, hey, you, your dad liked comic books. What's your favorite comic books? I'd be like, Saga. Uh, you ever read Matt Fraction's uh, Hawkeye? It's great. I live right. in the now. Everything I read before is gone. Dust. You don't, because I can see your trades right behind you of the things that you love in all your omnibus of Starman. James Robinson Starman. Yeah. yeah. Like we've had conversations on this podcast where we picked our greatest yeah. favorite so, picks we, we, of all times. And James Robinson's always your number one with his Starman. Yeah, we've already talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're good. So I talked about other people. And if you like our list, listeners, you can tell us about it on the comments on our Instagram page when we post when Chris posts this, this uh, story uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, we, you can email us contact at bagnumboardcast dot com. All the no, way. Bag, bagnumboardcast at gmail dot com. Oh, bagnumboardcast at <laughs> gmail dot com. You can Man. maybe send an email to that one though. I don't That's know. It's a throwback. We can still get it. I don't get it. You could get it. Good night.